0: I'm Tim Burrows. Today's guest is one of the most seasoned observers and players in the TV rights business. Scott Lawson joined aggregation service Fetch as its first CEO in 2009 and has built it into a business which now has a box in something like 1.3 million households. Last year, Telstra took a major stake. It's a wide-ranging chat. If you're not deep in the industry, a couple of pieces of jargon to look out for. SVOD is subscription video on demand. In other words, paid for streaming. And FAST is free ad supported TV. In other words, channels of free streaming content. Scott, thank you for joining me. Now, 15 years ago, you were beginning to make plans for Fetch. You'd come broadly from a marketing background including at Optus then you ran Ticketek and ACP magazines these days known as our media so streaming was not a certain bet at that point what what did you see at the time
1: and what was the mission then and what is the mission now yeah, it's it's actually amazing if you went back to the key tenets in which we established the business, and now they've they've held up pretty well. So, just to share a few, um, we looked at pay TV, what we used to call pay TV in Australia, and compared it to other OECD countries, and and Australia never got past twenty five percent back in the days of Optus Vision, All Star, Foxtel, etc. And other countries, you know, the US was 85, UK was over 60, New Zealand was over 50. And you said, why is that? And it turned out, you know, it wasn't because Australians don't spend money on entertainment. You know, highest per capita in the world are close to across almost every dimension of entertainment consumption. Mm -hmm. Sporting attendance, concert attendance, (laughs) going out to restaurants, beer drinking, uh, you know, Xbox Live. You know, whatever you measured, Australians were paying for entertainment but they were just rejecting the traditional pay TV, or at least the majority of them were. So we we thought that you know the proposition needed refining, and the the idea of the pay for what you use was going to be important to get to that lower price point, and then just add what you need. Um, now to do that, we recognized that you needed to have distribution partnerships and efficiency in your model of delivery. So that all pointed to a telco-led model that said we really needed a B2B business where the telcos were going to use their footprint, their customer connections, um, but also, you know, relying on their customer care, technical support, billing, uh, marketing, uh, you know, all those things. Um, We anticipated fragmentation in you know the the world of walled gardens we just knew that was going to collapse you couldn't just play the scarcity model with consumers and charge a lot for it so you know our our launch predated Netflix and Stan and the early entrance but we certainly foresaw the catch up tv services and these sorts of things so long story short we said we need to get to the mar- to market in telco partnerships with a low-cost model, that was a true aggregation service where people could, you know, we'll talk later, I'm sure, but it was all about a single remote, a single interface, and a single bill that allowed them to use all of the services that they wanted to use, um, but only pay for those that they chose to adopt, and and just make it easy, you know. And the making it easy bits become increasingly important, but all the other key tenants. Held up, and we're one of the few companies that's really benefited from this explosion in entertainment options in Australia. The more the more there are, the the, the higher the purpose for a content aggregator like ourselves.
0: And you mentioned Australia's slightly lower propensity to subscribe at that point, or at least at the ho- at, at those higher levels. Was part of that just the anti-siphoning legislation meant that? what Foxtel had at that
1: point was a little bit less compelling when it came to sport. Yeah, look, there's no question that anti-siphoning is a unique Australian uh, part, you know, unique part of the ecosystem here and had a major impact. So if you take the UK, for example, you know, the EPL was what Sky got and that's how they got their penetration. But ironically it wasn't in the US, you know, early days of pay TV up when it got to 80% penetration, ESPN didn't have NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, et cetera. So it was certainly one of the characteristics. Um, And by the way, I was running Optus Vision, what used to be Optus Vision, Optus TV at the time. So I had an inside look at that. Um, Another thing was that Australians like to watch Australian stories. So, you know, it's not just sports, but it's news. At the time, it was all about drama. Now it's about reality. But just the quality of the number of free-to-air channels and the quality of them, and the quality of the shows they were making, whether it was Underbelly or McLeod's Daughters, or we can go back through Memory Lane and on, on all that stuff. But um, I think it was a combination of the price of pay TV, of subscription TV, was too high. The sports was you know predominantly available for free, but Australians, unlike in some of the other markets, just really had a predisposition to local stories. And those local stories were being produced by the freight air industry. That was certainly a driver. The final driver, if you're comparing to overseas markets, is we just had far less censorship. So in the US, the Sex and the Cities and the Sopranos and these shows could not appear on freight air television because of the, the, the restrictions on nudity, profanity, adult themes, et cetera. And in Australia, that wasn't the case. So if you take away sports you'd look at the local stories and then you don't get those water cooler shows that have to be on subscription TV. That really set a ceiling on what pay TV could achieve in this market. Well, let's also
0: talk a little bit about how the fetch technology has evolved over that time. Um, And I guess I'm thinking both of the hardware and the navigation and and software. Um, Did it, did
1: that go where you were expecting? Um, Look, I think there, there ha- you know it's been a, it's been an evolution. I, I don't think there's been any seismic events so we've been able to incrementally improve uh, with the technology. The codecs have changed, the chipsets have changed the amount of range. You know there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of evolution from a hardware perspective. Um, obviously audio, video quality, uh, 4k, et cetera. Um, but really the, the evolution principally has been about the user interface. And making sure that that evolves, <laughs> and we still go back and look at our first generation interface and second and third, and there were elements that we were getting right. But uh, if you compare that to where we and other players are at now, it's just a whole different ballgame. But from a from a hardware perspective, I don't think anything has changed radically, other than the natural improvement, you know, faster processing chips. Better memory, apps load in one second instead of thirty seconds. There's all that normal stuff, but um, you know, reasonably predictable and, and steady.
0: And you recently updated the navigation again. What were the main changes
1: for that one? Yeah, this was a big pivot for us. Where you know, our, even our marketing claim was you know, all your entertainment easy. It was all all about aggregation, and let's just go out and communicate to customers that it's one bill, one interface one remote and you can get everything. And now with that huge fragmentation we talked about, the the problems we're trying to solve have evolved. So I'll just give you a few examples. You know, common things that you hear from consumers are I've got 10 shows I'm watching if only I could remember where they are, or I just rented a movie yesterday and then found out today it was on Netflix and I didn't need to pay for it and you know, go on and on. So what we try to really do is pivot towards a a customer champion, a customer advocacy position. And what I mean by that is make life easy for the consumer interacting with all this rich content. That comes down to clicks to content. How quickly can I find what I need to do? And that might be, I want to watch sporting event on the weekend. I want to watch a movie on a Friday night. I want to rejoin the show that I fell asleep watching last night, you know, whatever that is. But a lot of it comes down to um, price. Expenditure, etc. So, school holidays. I don't want parking meter TV, where every time the kids turn on the TV, I've got to actually get a new subscription or buy a new asset. So, we've really pivoted towards um, ways to watch free to you. You can literally hit a hit the green button, at a filter, and just see movies that are already included in things you're paying for. Um, and th- if you're going to watch, say, Line of Duty. It might be in seven different places. So the ways to watch will tell you um, that you know season six is on Netflix. Season one to five are on stand. You've recorded season three. Um, our store and Amazon store have seasons one through. You know Brickbox has every ep- every scene, season every episode. So we're just trying to find ways to intuitively understand what the customer is trying to do. Is it a pickup? Continue watching. Is it a find me a movie? Is it find my next show? Is it get me to the sporting event? To get them there quickly, but also to provide that filter on ways to watch free to me. Um, And I, I think the things that we're doing now are very differentiated. I'm not seeing a lot of other players. A lot of people are trying to sell customers more and more and more, but very few of them are actually trying to save them money. And because our principal objective as an entertainment company is to help our broad, our telco partners acquire and retain broadband and mobile customers, it's not we're not driven by the profit motive on the pay TV service. We're driven by the advocacy and the stickiness um, of the customer. And that allows us to adopt a slightly different approach.
0: Now, with um, the technology, the I guess for a long time, you were sort of best known as the Mini and the Mighty. Um, the Mini being sort of effectively the thing to help the viewer navigate, and then the Mighty also letting them record as well. I think you're up to Mighty 4 now. Um, is the main part of your future still inside that hardware, or is it
1: what actually what you're doing in the pipes? a lot of people refer to fetch as a set top box business and we certainly don't see ourselves that way um as i mentioned before we believe in one remote one interface and one bill and historically the best way to achieve that was to have a piece of hardware that the customer connects to their um connects to their tv so the tv is the display the fetch box is effectively the device that provides all of that rich functionality and, and experience. Um, and that was the way, best way to achieve that. Now, we don't believe we, our future is in being an app on a connected TV, but we are very serious about becoming a TV operating system, where effectively we partner with a, a major TV manufacturer and you can buy a TV, their TV, but the fetch experience is what you get, etc. So I think that that will be part of our future, but we still believe that set-top boxes have a rich history. If you talk to the TV companies, a lot of them are saying that they may remove tuners in the future and really focus on the display itself. And they'll let, whether it's Chromecast, Apple TV, Fetch, what have you, become that um, constantly evolving u- user experience device that m- brings that display device to life. So, yeah, we're, we're far less wedded to technology. As you mentioned, a, a huge proportion of the population still likes to record TV. I imagine ad skipping, you know, fast forwarding is part of the, the reason for that. Um, and so we still sell a, uh, a Mighty, which comes with a one terabyte hard drive and faci- you know, our, our customers are recording about 140 different shows per month. Um, so it's a big number. And Then we sell a puck. If you're happy with BVOD, the you know, free-to-air catch-up services, etc., and you don't need that recording device, it's a, it's a less expensive device. But I think in the next 12 to 18 months, you'll also see us play in the TV operating system um, environment. And I, get, I almost get the impression,
0: it's more from your tone of voice, that maybe we, we wouldn't see a mighty five. It's almost like if you, on the recording side, you've, you've almost gone as far as you need to with the technology.
1: No, it's it's interesting. We I, I think that we will continue to evolve. Um, you know, we don't want to um be one of those companies that every year our consumers have to go out and purchase and upgrade, etc. So a lot of what we focus on is software updates where everyone gets the new experience regardless of the generation of device that they're operating. But when there is a major evolution in technology, be it new chipsets come aboard. Um, the price of RAM reduces. Um, we're seeing new codecs, uh, new audio uh, standards, etc. We will introduce a new piece of hardware, um, and we try to parallel both the Puck and the Mighty, and do that at the same time, often with the same chipset. Um, so I think you'll you'll see us continue to introduce every two to three years a new version of the device, both the puck and the mighty. But again, I want to reiterate that our our focus is on that 100% of our install base and our customers have the same experience. So we literally do overnight updates where if we do a new UI, it's not just exclusive to the new device. It'll be, if you had the device for seven years, you get the same experience as well. And uh, just going back to something, I think you said
0: just now as an aside, if I was listening properly, um, you're also looking down the track
1: at building into television sets as well. Is that is that what I just heard you say? Yeah, absolutely. So um, the, the the technology that we've developed, middleware for, I won't get too technical with it. It, it can run on a box where, where we control you know the, the motherboard and all the spec in that box, et cetera, industrial design. Or it can run without a box on a TV. Um, it's far less of a technical challenge. It's more of a commercial discussion with the TV manufacturers to see Who do we partner with? How do we partner? How do we get to market? But I think that we have such confidence in our ability to differentiate and innovate on the user experience that it makes us a very attractive partner for TV manufacturers who are interested in selling hardware. But they also want that experience when the customer touches the remote button on the remote to be the best possible experience. So um, we have, you know, we think we've got permission to play in that space. And we've got the capability, and we have a range of discussions that are actually well progressed. I am not the typical user. I, I I
0: know, so not not everybody behaves with their television as I do. But I find myself thinking. So last night I was watching Apple Plus TV via Fetch. So I was doing it via via I was doing it via my Mini. Um, I I know that sometimes. On my smart TV, I will navigate via the apps on the smart TV, and sometimes I will also. I also still have my Foxtel box over my air over my satellite dish. So, uh, and and I'm sort of aware that sometimes I'm HDMI one, sometimes I'm HDMI two. Um, and sometimes I'm via the, the, the TV navigation itself. Um, come on, Tim. You only need the one box. What are you doing? It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a fair point. Well, I, I, I suppose the one, the one thing I haven't fully got my navigation on yet is my, uh, f- Formula One, my Foxtail over. Uh, uh, over the, uh, over the satellite dish. Now that, um, whereas I, I will stream my, um, some of my Foxtel sometimes via my smart TV. So I, I know I'm not typical, but I suppose the question I, I ask myself when I, I do find myself swapping between, uh, remotes is, um, what, what's the key element that helps Fetch win the argument?
1: that this is what Fetch can do that a smart TV cannot? Okay. Well, I'll just use the example that you've given where you're talking about um, uh, viewing content, whether it be Apple Plus and then Netflix and then Disney Plus, Paramount, Stan, et cetera, right? So I'll just give you a couple of features, and, and they'll be symbolic of the other things we do across linear channels, catch-up services, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But if, if you're um, bouncing in and out of shows, we have a, a tab in the a first tab in the Fetch UI called My Stuff. And within that, you'll see only the apps that you're already subscribed to. So you'll see Netflix and Stan or what have you. And to the right, you, you can navigate in just by clicking on the tile, the logo. Um, to the right of those, you'll see the shows that you're currently watching on those services. So it becomes a one-stop shop for continue watching my stuff, only showing you content that you're already engaged with and only the services that you're already subscribed to. Now, if you navigate across to our apps tab, you'll see all the apps, not just the ones that you're subscribed to. They'll be prioritized on the ones you use most frequently, so they'll be at the top. But instead of showing you what you're continuing to watch, we'll actually show you the promotional tiles for the most popular shows on those services. So in one place, you can scroll down vertically and see what's popular on Paramount, what's popular on Apple, what's popular on Netflix, et cetera. So for people that are in that, I'm looking for my next show, instead of bouncing in and out of each app, spending 15 minutes and coming out, we can actually take you to one place and do that for you. Now, if you do want to jump quickly, you can just simply hit our equivalent of the OK, it's a paw button, in the middle of the remote. And we will give you a um, last watched where you can just bounce in between apps that actually works well for channels. So there's lots of these places where we're taking this explosion of entertainment options, but we're just making life simple. And I'll give you one more example. If it's Friday night and you're looking for a movie, on the top row, we'll show you the most popular movies. Now, a lot of services will only show you what's available in their store so you can rent or purchase but we don't care if the show is on Disney Plus or on Netflix, whatever. We're going to show you the shows that are mo- the movies that are most popular across our service for everyone, regardless of where they're available. So there is a lot of value add you can do. A lot of our competitors or other services on the market tend to do present what I call a widget ghetto, where they just put all the logos up and say, hey, we've got them all. They're, they're on the box packaging, they're on the UI, click on them, go in and you can, and, and that's not what consumers are now looking for. They expect more, they want it to be easier, quicker. And, um, you know, we spend a lot of time in, and we've been at this as you highlighted for 15 years. So, and we get a lot of rich data on people, how people's um, usage is evolving, what they like, what they don't like, how they get places. Are they hitting the Netflix button on the remote? Are they navigating through the UI? Are they getting to the show first, et cetera? So long story short, I think that that the fact that we develop all of our own technology, we're not relying on any third-party providers, that we are very customer-centric, and that we are not principally motivated by you know, trying to introduce parking meter TV and get every last coin out of every customer, that it's about really driving advocacy, puts us in a place where we're set up to succeed. And I think, you know, over a long period of time, you know, a lot of, I always say, don't tell me you're a comedian, make me laugh. And I think, you know, in that instance, a lot of people put out press releases and talk about what's coming and what they're doing. At the end of the day, we're just about making sure that our existing base is happy and that the barbecue that we pass the barbecue test where they're raving about their fetch service. Uh, over a snog
0: (laughs) now you 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 have over the years done deals and 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 got sort of working partnerships with with just about all of the major players You've, you've you've managed i suppose to be switzerland um will that change now that you're majority
1: owned by telstra no it's funny i think telstra's uh view um of the world is exactly the same as fetches which Success in this market requires uh, complete neutrality. You have, if you want to be in the aggregation sp- space, you have to be agnostic. So, if you look at what Telstra did with the Telstra T box and then the Telstra TV, etc., um, you know th- they have taken exactly the same philosophical position as us, which is the customer gets to win. If people want Apple TV, then we should. Offer Apple TV Plus through Fetch. If they want Netflix, then we'll do that. If YouTube is, you know, so uh, no, I, I don't think there's any inherent conflict in their philosophical approach to their customers and what we're able to now do on their behalf. And it's very
0: interesting on the psychology, the fact that you said they're they and not we. You still think of yourself as running your own race, I take it.
1: Yeah, look, it's really important, um, you know. We are fifty-one percent owned by Telstra now, so that and their majority shareholder, but it's very much a business that's run as it was previously. We have a separate office, um, we have lots of governance controls, et cetera. But remember, we're in we remain in partnership with Optus, with iNet, with Aussie Broadband, with Vocus, I promise Dodo, um we service JP Hi-Fi, Harvey Norman, et cetera. So we are fiercely independent. In fact, our commercial agreement with Telstra Retail, where they resell the Fetch or they distribute the Fetch service, is very much an arm's length one. So, yeah, we we identify as Fetch, um, and we're very appreciative of the support that we get from our majority shareholder. But um, we are equally committed to servicing Optus and a range of other partners as well.
0: Well, you've been for a long time an observer of both the global and the local TV markets. Now, I won't ask you to pick winners, but what do you see as the forces at play for what comes next? Um, what do you see playing out in the US that could maybe have a knock-on effect for Australia?
1: Well, a lot of the trends and and, and the, the focus of this Question and response tends to focus on the SVOD players, rightfully so. You know, what's Netflix doing? What's happening with Disney and Hulu and Comcast, et cetera, et cetera. And I suppose at one level up
0: from the owners of those SVOD players as well.
1: Yeah. So look, I think the market's moved on the the share market from just rewarding growth for growth's sake and subscribers. And it's all about the sustainability and the profitability of that model now and in the future. Netflix has really excelled in that. Environment and they're being rewarded by improvement in the share price versus what transpired about eighteen months ago. Um, so it, it's the the thinking has evolved, um, and the pro- the motivation of the players has had to ad- adapt accordingly. Um, then, if you look at that from a consumer perspective, both in in Australia and the US, we are you know I guess is this peak TV or peak SVOD. I always say it's it's not peak, but it is a peak. So within the, you know, it's a difficult environment from a discretionary expenditure perspective, interest rates, et cetera. And there's only so many hours in the day and um, all these players are putting up their prices. So we've reached a point where I think you're gonna see very, very little growth and potentially even contraction in the SFOD space. Now, when you get those conditions, when you get the share market asking for profitability, you get growth and scale becoming more challenging um, and and you've really already pulled the pricing lever, I think consolidation is inevitable. So I, I think we are at a tipping point for consolidation. You know, Historically, it's always been, is Apple going to buy Sony Pictures? That's the sort of thing. Um, the impetus now is probably on... Disney is now in the process of acquiring the third of Hulu that they don't own from Comcast. Comcast will likely... Pocket nine to 10 billion US dollars as a result of that transaction. I think it's fair to say that Peacock's probably subscale, which is Comcast's streaming proposition in the US. And that's part of NBC Universal. Correct. It's part of Comcast, NBC Universal, that group. Um, now, if you add $9 billion, $10 billion to them, then they become potentially a suitor for the likes of Warner Brothers Discovery or Paramount or AMC or a r- range of different players. Hang on, let's run through those one at a time because that's interesting. And I'll also up front of that
0: also ask the question because I know they have some debt. I mean, you you would know what the sentiment in the market is more than me. Do you you you'd be confident that they would spend that money as opposed to just using it to pay down their debt level?
1: Yeah, look, I think Comcast has got a great balance sheet. I think when you're talking about debt levels, Warner Brothers Discovery often gets mentioned as someone who's highly leveraged. Um, So I'm not here to predict what will happen, but it's just examples of Hulu was a domino piece. Was Comcast going to buy two thirds that they didn't own from Disney or was Disney going to buy the third that they didn't own? Um, I think then Disney has a decision to make on ESPN. I expect that they'll probably welcome in some strategic partners, which has been publicly commented on, uh, but maintain majority. The NBA rights are up. There's a range of things that become catalysts for consolidation. And I I think historically, people have looked, you know, is Amazon going to be a player? They bought MGM. What's Apple going to do? I think all eyes are now on Comcast um, and NBCU, which is what do they do with that extra money and to achieve scale. And inevitably, what happens overseas affects the local market. You know, we we tend to be the recipients of international movements rather than the initiator of, of things.
0: Yes, I suppose a couple of factors I can think of are Warner Brothers Discovery, own HBO. And of course, that's such an important part of Foxtel's entertainment um, content, including for Binge. And similarly, Paramount owns Channel 10. Um, So of course, all the moves in the US will have direct impacts eventually on the Australian market. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. and so I think you know we're 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 in this unique situation where not only do we have all of the locals, but we have some very formidable look. all the internationals? All, some formidable local players. In that, you know, it's amazing that Stan's gotten to 2.2 million subscribers. You've got binge at 1.45, I think one uh, something like that. Ko is a is a 1.3 or four. Um, so there are some local players, and as these things play out and and by the way paramount plus you know doesn't get talked about enough it's actually got some great content and is a real growth driver and i think when yeah, the- we we've, we've we've talked to ourselves before now about um,
0: just what a what a big driver um, yellowstone is um, not only
1: um, the spin-offs in the australian market but globally as a franchise yeah yellowstone's been enormous for stan just huge and then paramount owns the rights to the, all the spinoffs and and this and you know with the Yellowstone coming to an end after one more season next year and you know rumors of Matthew McConaughey taking up that franchise uh, you know I, I think Paramount's in a very very good position with the Taylor Sheridan universe of of content um, and um, they're doing a great Dev's doing a great job over there with Jared um, and then you've got things like NCIS Sydney so I didn't mean to turn this into a plug for Paramount Plus. But I just want to reiterate that there are a lot of credible competitors, but Australia is a country of 25 million people and these are expensive businesses to operate. So I I do think it's inevitable that we'll see consolidation internationally. Those dominoes will impact local alliances and things. And ultimately, um, I would be shocked if we don't see consolidation locally as well. And I guess speaking of
0: consolidation there are a number of aggregation players in australia we've obviously got optus subhub we've got Foxtel's, Foxtel's forthcoming hubble um we don't yet see roku in australia um now that they're not underlying your te- um the, the, the telstra technology um are we likely to see consolidation
1: in the aggregation players locally yeah look i i, I don't Um, it's a good question. I think to be honest with you, actually, the the answer is you've already, we've already seen our first major consolidation, which is Telstra was operating Telstra TV through the Roku platform. They acquired 51% of Fetch and we will be consolidating the Fetch user base and the Telstra TV base will be migrating to the Fetch platform. And those two platforms combined, you know, I, I think we will be the largest local aggregation platform. In Australia, so probably the first and most meaningful move has already occurred. Um, you know, I, uh, I think SubHub's a very—you mentioned SubHub—it's a very different thing. There's no viewing; it's not a platform. It's a—it's a billing and rewards program. Uh, so I would—I certainly wouldn't put that in the same category. What—what um, what Hubble become? You know, we'll—we'll we'll see what tel- what FoxTEL does. They're a well-resourced company with a lot of good people, and I'm sure they'll make a splash and do something interesting. Um, but I think we we feel like with the consolidation of the Telstra TV base and the Fetch base and our existing distribution platform partners, we're very well positioned to maintain our position as we believe the, the um, largest local pure aggregation platform in Australia.
0: Well, I, I'm going to try and tempt you to use your crystal ball just a little bit on viewer behavior. I'm sure that 15 years back, it would have been hard to say that we would be at this point, but maybe a decade hence. How how do we think people will be watching or paying for their television?
1: Wow. It's funny. Um, I will acknowledge that whilst I think I've made some reasonably good decisions in my career, none of them have been in the 10-year envelope <laughs> I haven't I don't have a great track record of predicting the future it's really hard to say and I, I think it's a bit of a fool's errand you know it, we, we spend all of our time maintaining optionality and agility to react to the things that we didn't predict rather than trying to hard code a, a you know a future towards a, a, a world that we do um, and I'll give you an example like the fast channels, as an example, I didn't see those coming i and when the first few arrived, I said that's interesting, and it'll never be much and You can go to conferences where they 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 get the podium for the keynote speeches these days so there there are constant new trends um, you know Netflix was dominating, and then suddenly you see this explosion, et cetera so we spend all, most of our time trying to figure out how to best react to changes in consumer behavior. I do think in the shorter term, if you ask me two to three years, there does seem certainly to be a pivot back towards ad-supported content. And one of the reasons for that, again, is businesses need to run for profitability. Content's very expensive to produce. And consumers only have a tolerance to spend so much of of their hard-earned money on subscription services. And so if the choice is between five services at $20 each... Or five services at seven dollars each with ads, you know. I think there's an inevitability that that model will become uh, increasingly prominent, which ironically, historically, was prominent. So we are going in a vicious uh, loop. Um, you know, I would say that the one prediction I can make with great certainty is that consumers will win. You know, the content's getting better, the resolution's getting better. AI is going to introduce the ability to, you know, whether it's um, what you can do with language translation or change of setting. There's going to be so many, so many innovations that benefit consumers. It's really a question about then that user experience, which is where we're playing, and then the pricing models where people are trying to figure that out.
0: We've talked uh, quite a bit about navigation, and apps and finding content um do you have a point of view on the prominence legislation which is coming through at the moment where i think very broadly you've got free to air tv arguing that they should buy right on smart tvs have real estate on the home screen and then you've got the likes of astra funded by fox who uh, are uh, arguing that that amounts to the, the government interfering in what you can do with the television um where where do, does fetch have a position on what it would like to see in the prominence legislation
1: look we are we adopt historically a very soft regulatory stance you're not going to see us out uh, you know being quoted in papers etc but I'll just share some personal insights and observations um, I've been in despite the funny accent I've been in Australia for 28 years and in all 28 of those, the government has had a policy that is Australian's God-given right to uh, view few content free of charge. So the, the regulatory framework, whether it's anti siphoning legislation, the vast service, um, the TV licensing, um, regimes, et cetera, has both liberal and labor governments historically have all supported the idea that a vibrant, uh, local industry is important. And that Australians should have access to a certain amount of content free of charge. So, you know, at Fetch, we like to swim downstream rather than upstream. And so, A, we recognize that that's a regulatory environment and that benefits Australian consumers. So, to some extent, we're supportive. Uh, so, not to some extent, to a large extent, we're supportive. The second thing I'd say is that consumers like free to air television. And um, whether that be live or recorded or via the BVOD services, you know, over well over 50%, closer to 60% of all viewing continues to be free to air. So the right thing to do for government policy, but just from a consumer perspective is to make that content prominent if clicks to content and, and superior navigation. And that is important, um, You know, in taking that position, you're foregoing some commercial leverage that says, hey, I'm going to make the free to airs pay for their uh, shelf space in my supermarket, et cetera. But ultimately, it's the right thing to do. So our position has been, it's a pretty easy ask what they're asking for. It's aligned to government policy. It's consistent with consumer behaviors. And provided that the restrictions are not overly onerous or prescriptive, then we're generally supportive.
0: And I presume you could find yourself captured within that legislation potentially as
1: well. well. The irony, I think I think we would almost be the poster boy for the legislation, our poster child for the legislation in the sense that we do make it ridiculously easy to consume free to air content on our service. Because again, our North star is what the consumers want and making uh the news, the reality shows the sports on freight air easily visible and available on the service is a smart thing to do if you're chasing advocacy um, and, you know, um, a positive com- consumer uh, interact- experience. So I, I think our, I, I don't anticipate whatever transpires will require a single change to the fetch interface because I think we're already well beyond what they're asking for. But as I said, we're we're effectively foregoing some commercial leverage to ensure that the consumers get what what they want, and that we're swimming downstream on government policy.
0: A policy topic, which um, well, we're on policy topics, which doesn't seem to be talked about as much anymore, is piracy. Do you have a point of view? Is it has it? gone away or has it faded away why don't we talk about it as much
1: yeah it's interesting i think i think the industry has done a great job on piracy so if you compare and paul Muller and the team uh, have led an industry charge to really cut down a lot of those pirate bait or um, you know close down a lot of those pirate bay site type sites a bit of a whack-a-mole exercise as they pop up everywhere um, but they've done a great job, and consumer education and the fact that you know it used to be when piracy was exploding in Australia, you had to wait a week for a popular show in the US to get here and there weren't ways to watch. so content's available, there are affordable options. the government reg- the regulatory environment is working better and it it has improved. There's more work to be done. Um, from a fetch perspective, we invest a lot of time and energy in trying to service the foreign language. Communities in Australia. So we had twenty-four Hindi channels. We had over twenty Mandarin channels, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that piracy in the foreign language communities is still extremely prevalent, but probably not the same political issue. Uh, There's less um, industry focus on on cracking down there. Um, But no, I, I think you'd have to give. Over the last five years, there has been Reasonably dramatic improvements in piracy controls, and more work to be done, but definitely in a, in a better position.
0: Now, you recently added, as we talked about already, Apple Plus. Um, who, who isn't on the platform that you would
1: like to be? Um, look, there's always a long tail, so you know, um, you know, people. Have, there's a lot of niche content. And so whilst we have all the tier one and most of the tier two, et cetera, with two exceptions, which I'll refer to in a second, um, we are we are very well progressed on a plan that will enable us to better service the long tail so we can look at the next 20 apps that we don't have and how do we add, add those. Um, it's a lot of technical stuff, so I won't get into it very much, but effectively we'll be able to um, extend our offering in the in you know in the first half of next year um we um we're, we currently don't have k o r binge um so that's subject to ongoing commercial uh discussions um and we'd love to have those on the service. They both service about fourteen percent of Australian households, so they're important, but we have to recognize that we've got a pretty attractive market as is. And you know, I'm, and and do you get engagement from
0: Foxtel? Has there been an active conversation over the years about making it happen? Uh,
1: look, everyone in Australia, everyone in Australia is frenemies, as you probably know, and so we we have ongoing discussions with every media company in Australia, and we'll continue to do so.
0: Final question, which uh, we ask all of our guests on the podcast: What do your critics say about you, and what do your supporters say about you?
1: Well, it's funny, it's a I don't um, you know, I, I'm a big believer in the the adage there's only two types of people in Australian media, those that are humble and those that are about to be. So as a <laughs> as a as a aggregator and principally B2B, we keep a low profile here. Um, and intentionally so. I've been a target, you know, when I was running ACP magazines, et cetera, before. But if you said what do my detractors say, hopefully most of my critics are my competitors and I'd like to think they think I'm a pain in the ass. Um, um, but I, I'm sure they would probably also say I'm fairly consistent in the sense that, you know, I, you know, I work for my shareholders and it's all about the consumer winning, et cetera. Your supporters? Well, historically, hopefully my supporters would say that, uh, you know, they've enjoyed the products that, that the companies I've been associated with have introduced into their homes and I've made my shareholders some money along the way. And I'm a bit of fun over a beer and, uh, um, and uh, maybe at, at the footy game or something, but no, I don't. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about, uh, you know, position in the market, uh, et cetera. We we just like to keep our head down, service our customers, service our shareholders, service our partners. And uh, personally, I've been. You, you don't survive in Australian media for twenty years, which is what I've done, um, without maintaining good relationships with friends and enemies and sometimes the friends become enemies and sometimes the enemies become friends but ultimately that australian have a beer after the game adage rings true scott thank you so much for your time hey thank you tim i appreciate it nice to join you
0: if you don't already read unmade go to unmade.media for our almost daily take on the world of media and marketing. Today's podcast was produced by Al Alzadi and edited by Abe's Audio. I'm Tim Burrows. Toodle pip.
1: Unmade podcast edit by Abe's
0: Audio.